So, turn your Bibles to John 15. John 15. Yep. And in John 15, today we're going to be looking, and I want to divide this. Okay, I've already told you it's going to be in two parts today, so you already know that. But even the title of this and how we're looking at this is going to be divided in two. I want you to think of it in two parts, not the 9 a.m. and the 10 a.m., all right? That's another two parts, okay? The first two parts is uh, the, the title of this. I'll tell you that might help. The, what we're working with today is called Abiding in Prayer. But what you want to do is if you're going to write that out, you want to write Abiding dash in Prayer or semicolon, I guess, or whatever. Uh, because I want you to realize that there are, uh, we're going to be talking about abiding from several different angles. Today, in this first session, we're talking about abiding in prayer. And this is something uh, <clears throat> we have taught all over the world, and people get a hold of it. They, they run with the message. They do it. It works for them. They're seeing people healed and set free and delivered, and even the dead have been raised uh, just by hearing this, this teaching that we do. And so it, it works. At the same time, there's parts of it that I don't think people are really hearing. And they still think, in many cases, religiously. And I'll explain all that as we go along. So John chapter 15. And as I said today, we're starting with abiding dash in prayer. So John 15 verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Now, the husbandman uh, would be the tiller of the soil, you might say. That's actually what the actual Greek word means, is a tiller of the soil, or the one that takes care of the field. So he's, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and my father is the one that takes care of all of this. Verse 2. Now, listen carefully, because we're going to be hitting uh, a lot of different things. One of the things that we've learned is that as we preach from the word of God and go through uh, many scriptures, not just pull a scripture out. But as we go through several scriptures, uh, we hit people at every level of their experience and their need. Now, if we just taught one thing and brought one scripture out and hit it and just uh, pulled things out, <clears throat> then we would only hit one area. But what we're doing is we're preaching the Word of God, which pours water on every area. So no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, today you can be ministered to, right? Because it's the Word of God. Now, Verse 1, I'm the true vine, the father, my father is the husbandman. Verse 2, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, I should also remind you, uh, I'm actually reading out of the King James, but we will look at some other uh, translations in a moment. But I will tell you here, if you look at the word in verse 2, Notice what he says, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. He who? The Father, right? You will find no scriptures. Now, you will find several scriptures that says no man will pluck you out of his hand. You will find no scriptures that says that God himself won't, right? Now, he says here, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit. So which branch do you want to be? A fruit-bearing branch, right? Okay. Now notice what happens to the fruit that bears, or the branch that bears fruit. He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, don't let that word purge scare you, uh, because people tie that with the word chastise, okay, and they do that from 1 John later on. But <clears throat> the key here is this, number one is, is to notice this. The word there for purgeth is exactly, well, it's the same word with a different tense that you will find in the next verse. All right, let's read that. Verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now that word clean is the exact same word as purge. Okay? The only difference is the tense at the end. It is the same word. Uh, it'd be like us saying, I'm, I, I will read the book or I have read the book. Same word, right? Just a different tense. That's what this is. And so purge, and, and when it says he purgeth it, and then he says, now you are clean. In other words, what does that mean? You've already been purged. That's, that's what he is saying, all right? So really, we could say every branch that bears fruit, he cleanses it. In other words, he cleans it up, trims it up, 
and makes it right. Okay, makes it where it can produce more. Now, then verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. Now, so we're going to be talking about abiding over the next several weeks, actually, and different aspects of abiding. And I want you to see what it is because it is a continuous daily experience and a lifestyle. All right? And I will we'll show you what I mean by that. Then he says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You get that? He's the vine, we're the branches. What does that mean? <clears throat> First off, it means that the life that is in the vine flows through the branches. So we have the same life now flowing through us that is in Jesus. We got that? Yeah. <clears throat> then he says, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Right? Now, <clears throat> usually people emphasize the without him we can do nothing. But we need to realize if we're with him, then that verse technically doesn't apply to us. Understand what I mean by that. Okay? <clears throat> because we are with him, we, we should always recognize the fact that if we weren't with him, we could do nothing. But we also have to recognize we are with him. And if we are with him, then we can do all things. Amen? So we don't want to emphasize what we can't do without him. We want to emphasize what we can do with him. Amen? Now, <clears throat> but we also know in the back of our mind, without him, we can do nothing, right? But we don't have to worry about that part because we're with him. Now, so you should never really say one of those without saying both of those. Otherwise, you'll get lopsided. Okay? Now, he says here <clears throat> in verse 6, If a man abide not in me, and the word man is anthropos, it means literally mankind, if any person, any human, abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So now we see the value of abiding in him. Notice it didn't just say with me, walks with me, follows me, right? It says abiding in him. He says, if any man, if a man, if a person does not abide in me. So now we know that abiding is not a choice. It's not a, uh, what's well, a choice, but <clears throat> it's not an option, right? It is how we are supposed to live. This is really, and what we're talking about today is really what makes the difference between successful Christians and non-successful Christians, right? And when I say su successful Christians, I'm not talking about business, property, stuff. I'm talking about relationship with God that is fruitful, right? A relationship with God. And most people want a greater, most Christians want a greater relationship with God, right? So if you want a greater relationship with God, we're going to explain really what it is and how to walk in it today, right? Now, he says, look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now that promise alone should, should cause us to just really go after abiding and saying, okay, what does it mean to abide? How, if I can figure out how to abide, if I can figure out how, to, how I can abide in him and how his words can abide in me, then I know that every prayer I pray will be answered. Amen? Every prayer. <clears throat> now that in itself, I mean, think about it. Prayer for the healing of someone. I, I, you say, well, we don't pray for people. I, I know. But whenever you speak e even a command, if you abide in him and his words abide in you, it shall be done. Because that's according to Mark eleven twenty three. also because of what you believe in your heart. And so <clears throat> he's talking about in every area. In other words, literally... You ought to be, even as you're standing and just talking, the words that come out of your mouth should come to pass if you abide in him and his words abide in you, right? You know, one of the big questions that I get whenever I teach, especially on the area of prayer, different things, because there are so many just almost like blank check uh, statements that Jesus made about prayer, about ask whatever you will and it'll be done. And he says it over and over again many times right here in this passage. 
And he even says it later on, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that if he hears us, we have whatever we ask. I mean, he, he goes on and on explaining. And, and it's so open that most people have a problem with it. Most people do not believe that he meant exactly what he said because they always try to put qualifications on it. And what they don't realize is the qualifications are built into it, right? Because what they will say is, well, you mean I can ask anything and God will do it. And I've actually, I was in a meeting and a young man came to me afterwards during one of the breaks. And he said, so you're telling me that I can ask for anything and God would, would give it to me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if you abide in him and his words abide in you. Well, you mean I could ask him, and this is literally what I said, you mean I could ask him for a bag of pot? And he and I said, okay, you're missing the point. The point is you abide in him and he abides in you and his words abide in you. And when that, that's the qualification. When you abide in him and his words abide in you, you're not going to ask stupid things. Okay. You're going to ask, you're going to ask according to his will because his word abides in you. People say, well, how do I know his will? Good, get his word in you. His word is his will. If it's not, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, then we're all in trouble, Amen. right? And so we have to realize that what his word is his will. And so whenever we have his word abiding in us, we can ask what we will because we will ask according to his will. And we know if we ask according to his will, if he hears us, and if we ask according to his will, we know he hears us. So we will have whatever we ask. So it's all, it, it, <laughs> it's a perfect system, all right? He, he gave the promise, but he also gave the qualifications in the promise. And so this is what most people don't understand. And they, <clears throat> they don't understand what it means to truly abide in him. And so, again, we're going to talk about that as much as we can get in today. He says, <clears throat> if, you abide, if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Then he says in verse 8, herein, in what? Now watch. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Now notice, he is, he is combining answered prayer with bearing fruit. So you praying and getting an answer is bearing fruit. Right? And in bearing fruit, you, be, you are his disciple. It's proof that you're his disciple. So actually, when you abide in him, and his words abide in you, you ask what you will... That produces fruit because it's the answered prayer. And that answered prayer actually proves that you're his disciple. And so answered prayer and asking what you will and it being done proves you're connected with him. Right? You see, all that's together. You can't, you can't separate that out. Religion would try to separate that out. But we don't separate it because the Bible doesn't separate it. So he says in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Now notice, he is telling them, stay in my love. Continue, continue in my love. Now I want to point out something here. That um, <clears throat> I've noticed several things, especially recently in the body of Christ worldwide, is that there are people, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it's like Hitler. You say, how's that like Hitler? <clears throat> Hitler kept saying the same lie over and over again until people believed it. And there are many Christians and or ministers who keep repeating the same untruths. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know they're lying, okay? But it's still an untruth. Whether you know it or not, it's still an untruth. And they keep saying the untruth, and pretty soon that becomes accepted as gospel. And we have to realize that we have to go back to the Word of God, right? And so <clears throat> there are several aspects on this. I'll be bringing it out probably the next week or two, I would imagine. Uh, but he says here in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So now notice that's a command. So that means that there is a possibility of you not continuing in his love. You got that? He said, but, but God loves everybody. He loves you. Yeah, but him loving everybody is not you continuing in his love. See, there's a difference there. There's, there's God's part and there's our part. Amen. People say, well, you know, but God's done it all. He's already done it. No, he, he did it all to allow you to get in, right? But now that you're in, now to prove you're in, your life should be different than it was before you got in, all right? Otherwise, why did you need to get in, right? So, all right, he says here in verse 10, if, circle that word if, 
If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So now we know what abiding in his love is. He said, continue in my love. That word continue and abide, basically the same word. So when he says, continue in my love, here he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, the word abide literally means to take up residence, to settle down, and to make oneself at home. <clears throat> All right? So he says here, <clears throat> these things, well, let me go back. <clears throat> if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, notice Jesus was living the same way he was telling us to live. He didn't tell us, he didn't have it different than we do, okay? <clears throat> These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. So now we know we're to ha have his joy. We've already known that we are to have his peace, because he said he left us his peace, but we're also to have his joy. And he says, and that your joy might be full. Notice he is tying all of this to keeping his commandments, and to bearing fruit, and to abiding in him, and his words abiding in you. See, we have to take all of this together. We can't just divide it up. Jesus didn't divide it up. Jesus didn't say, verse 12, and start talking. See, he, was, he was sharing, and this whole thing was part of the message he brought. Then he said in verse, well, might as well read verse 12. This is my commandment, <clears throat> that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Notice the word friends. He says, you are my friends, all right? So <clears throat> now we can find out who Jesus laid his life down for. Because he said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If, notice there's an if. There's an if to being Jesus' friend. If you do whatsoever I command you. That, what's he saying? If you keep my commandments, you're my friend. Amen. Right? And, and you are who I laid my life down for. Do you get that? So we have to, again, there's just, a, it's amazing how much uh, wrong doctrine can be corrected just by reading scripture. I know that's a very basic statement, but if you just read it and take it exactly as what it says, then it's amazing how much of the other stuff will just be weeded out. So then he says in verse 15, Henceforth, from now on, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I've heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit. Do you see that? The first thing there. Every disciple is ordained. And the ordination that you are ordained to is to bring forth fruit. And if you go back and read also, when Jesus chose the 12, he said he chose 12 and ordained them. And it's amazing. He, <clears throat> he did ordain them to go out and preach and heal. But the first part of that, it says to be with him. He ordained them that they should be with him. Amen. Right? What is, and what does that mean? It means to abide. That he ordained that first they should abide with him and that his word should abide in them and then that they should go bring forth fruit. Why? Because apart from that, you can do nothing. Amen? So hopefully, hopefully you're hearing all of these things brought together. <clears throat> then he says, uh, again, verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Now, that, that's, a, that's a key. Your fruit should remain. Now, that doesn't mean just in the fruit that you produce. Well, you know, I prayed for somebody that got healed and their healing should stick and it should be good from now on. Okay, <clears throat> that's not what he's talking about. Okay, he is talking about that your fruit <clears throat> that should remain, meaning that it should be continual, right? And what is your fruit? Your fruit is praying, asking, receiving, God answering your prayer, your joy being made full. All of these are fruit of being a disciple and that fruit should be a consistent, constant thing. This is how you should live. Amen? You got that? Yeah. Now, then he says, what? That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There he says it again. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, notice he is tying in 
being in the Father's love and you loving others. So walking in the commandments, what is this commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. So we have all of this together. This is probably the hardest aspect of Christianity, even though it's not hard. But it is seeing the overall view and putting everything together, not just having bits and pieces. Most camps are based upon or built upon bits and pieces, and they have huge gaps. And when you ask a question that hits that gap, you get ostracized, usually. Don't ask that question. And they, and they make it where it's very uncomfortable for you to ask that question. And they hope that uh, if, the, if you ask it again, they'll do the same thing, only worse. And it keeps on until you know better than to ask that question, right? <clears throat> Maybe I know. That's where I was at, okay? I got asked to leave. Actually, nobody ever asked me to leave. They were just glad when I did. Uh, so they, they never asked me to leave, though. But now, notice this. So we're, now we're talking about bearing fruit, abiding in him, him abiding in you. But look at Joshua chapter 1. Most of you know this. I've preached on this uh, many, many times. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 7. <clears throat> He's already told him to be strong and courageous, but now he says, Only be thou strong and very courageous. Why? Why should we be strong and courageous? That you may observe to do according to all the law. Now, <clears throat> we have to understand that it was the ceremonial law, you might say, the law that was provided to show us to bring us to Christ, that when we came to Christ was done away with. Right? You understand that? And I, I don't have time to go into that in detail, but we, we can. But <clears throat> notice he says that you should obey all the law. We would say that you would obey the commands, that you obey. And when we read this, we have to keep it in context of the New Testament now. And we have to realize that whenever he says that we obey everything, these laws, that it's not that we go back and obey all of the Mosaic laws. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that what the, the principle is true. If you're strong and courageous, now watch, that's not all of it. <clears throat> he says, then so that you can observe to do according to all that is the law, we'd say, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper whithersoever you go. Now, this is the um, formula, if you want to call it that, for prospering. Right? And when I say prospering, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about you can prosper in your health. And actually, Third uh, John 2 tells us that. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And so there's a balance there. And usually, very honestly, that is usually the way it works. The more a person's soul prospers, the more they are in health physically and the more they prosper overall. Right? You can usually tell the growth uh, of a person and because they are prospering spiritually by actually doing what God said <clears throat> and abiding in him and his words abiding in you. So it's real simple. But here he says that you will prosper wherever you go. Not, not that you fast and pray to find out where to go, but wherever you go, whatever you put your hand to, God will bless it, all right? I'm not saying you don't pray. Please understand that. In a minute, we're going to get to that in just a second. But look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Now, that does not say you shouldn't say it. It's actually saying there will never be a time when God's word is not in your mouth. Right? In other words, what does that mean? That means you should always be speaking his word. You should always be saying the word. Now, that doesn't mean quoting King James necessarily. Right? Now, if you do, that's great. But it's saying whatever you say, make sure that it is in alignment with God's word. Don't ever say anything contrary to God's word. Don't argue with God. And when you say things contrary to God's word, it's as if you're arguing with him. All right? Now, then he says, uh, But you shall meditate therein day and night. Meditate. Think about. Talk about. Talk to yourself. Mutter to yourself. That's what meditate means. <clears throat> why? Why, do you want to, why should we say it all the time? And why should we meditate on God's word? That you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Okay, why is it important that we do everything that the Word tells us to do? Because then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Now notice, it does not say that if you do this, God's going to reward you with success or prosperity. He says, by you doing that, you cause yourself to have good success and prosperity. You got that? 
you keep his word. A lot of people need to go back and read Proverbs, right? Proverbs talks about, and it's amazing because even now, because of a lot of the uh, extremes that people have gone to in grace and in faith, that we act as a, well, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to think anything, I have to, it's all done, and all I have to do is just stand in that and say it's all done, right? And that doesn't work for people, okay? We have to realize here that what he is telling us is that we have to walk in his word. And, and people say, well, you know, I, I'm not going to go to work. I'm just going I'm, I'm to trust God and, and be in faith that God's just going to, you know, bring money to my mailbox or bring money to my doorstep or something. And yet they're violating the principles of the word of God in Proverbs that says that the sluggard will go to poverty, right? It says if you're lazy and you won't work, and my Bible even says if you don't work, you don't eat. Real simple, right? Uh, you know, when, well, <laughs> it's a whole another sermon on that one we could go off on sometime. But the point is that everything you do has to line up with all of the principles of the word of God for you to walk in the true success, prosperity, whatever you want to call it. And people get bent out of shape over those terms. All it, everybody in this room, pretty much, I mean, you know, I don't know everybody, but I'm, I'm guessing based on human nature, even Christian human nature, that if whatever you do, if someone said, uh, you, can, you don't have to do anything different, but I'm going to double your income, uh, and there's no, no strings attached. Most people go, uh, yeah, I'll take that deal. Right? And that, but it's funny because... <clears throat> Then if you mention, okay, you'd say, well, you just prospered. Oh, I don't believe in prosperity. Okay, well, make up your mind. Because you want to get promoted, you want a better job, you want better finances, all these kind of things. And the thing is, you, we know why you need that. It's because we need it to live in this world. But it, the point is, most people, when we say the word prosperity or success, people think that's what we're after. And we're not after that, right? The key is, is that if you follow God, you will prosper. It's that simple. If you keep his word, if you do what he said, you will begin to prosper. It may be a slow process, but you will begin to prosper. Why? Because it is impossible to obey God and it not benefit. It's just, it's just impossible. So notice, then he says in verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with you whithersoever you go. See? So it, we have to realize, and this is Old Testament, how much more is this true now for us where he has recreated us and he is now in us, not just with us? Amen? Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And like I said, today we're hitting on several points and kind of, kind of different areas, but it all goes back to abiding in him. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this is kind of good news, okay, a lot of people, all right, you'll, you'll understand that in a minute. Here he says, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, he says, there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. In other words, don't think you're special, you don't have it any harder than anybody else, everybody goes through the same stuff, right? He said, don't think that, you, that it's harder on you than it is anybody else. He says, but God, now watch this, but God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able. Now, stop right there. Notice what he's saying. He says, look, don't think you're special. Don't think you're going through something somebody else hadn't gone through. Everybody goes through the same thing, but know this. God is faithful. And, and whatever you're going through, he will not allow you. Now, listen carefully. He will not allow you to go through anything that you don't have the tools slash weapons to defeat. You got that? Now, you say, but, but look around. The people are defeated and the people are dying and this kind of stuff. I say, okay, I didn't say that you use them. I'm saying that God knows you have them and that God knows that whatever you face, that you are able to beat. Do you get that? Now, you have to understand this. What, whatever you face, God knows what's in you. He knows that you already have what you need to beat that. Now, what that means is he also knows that because this comes and it may be tough and you may be thinking, oh, this is horrible, this is terrible, and I can't stand this and I can't take it. No, what you ought to rely upon is this. God knows what's in you. And if this is this big a problem, God knows you have what you need to beat it. 
So there is nothing you will face that you cannot beat. You understand? Now what that means is you're going to have to actually decide to beat it. It does not say to ask God to beat it for you. You understand that? You beat it through the tools, and I will explain that in just a second, but you beat it through the tools that he's given you. Now, notice this. He says, watch this, God, who is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, look, if you see a big problem, then the first thing you are to look for is there is a way to beat it that is with the problem. You got that? There is a way to beat it. So you don't look at the problem and go, oh, it's too big a mountain. I can never beat that. People, I hear people all the time. Well, I just don't know if I have enough faith for that. Okay, get your mind off your faith and look for the escape. Because if there's a problem, there's an escape, right? There's no such thing as a building without an exit. Amen? Even if you have to go back in the way you came in, okay? Every building has an exit. Every problem has a way of escape. There is no such thing as a problem without an escape. You got that? Now, <clears throat> what God has given you is the way of escape. Now, the escape doesn't mean to avoid it. The escape may be going right through it. And that escape means the fact that God always provides an escape means that, that most of the time that escape is what's already in you. All right, and let me, let me tie this together. Watch, if you get this, the, these two verses would have been worth you coming today. Okay, because I can tell you how to overcome every situation and how to de defeat it. And I'm not just talking by, you know, just reading stuff. I'm, I've experienced this and this is how we apply things. So notice now the next verse. Well, actually, I want to take you. We're going to read several verses. But before we go on with 1 Corinthians 13 or 10, verse 13, uh, you don't have to turn there. But remember this scripture. You all know it. You heard it quoted so many times. And that is Hosea 4, 6 which simply says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You hear that? They are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, people say, see, uh, God, things happen, and I didn't know what to do. No, it does not say that. It does not say that you don't know what to do. Okay? He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But now notice, he says after that, because you have rejected knowledge, then I will also reject you. Now, when it says, I will reject you, you have to understand, it's not God pushing against you. He's saying, I can't help you. Why? Because he said here, notice, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But it wasn't the fact that there was no knowledge there. It was the fact that the knowledge was provided and you heard it, but then you rejected it. And usually, and you got to get, this is one of the, this is probably one of the most powerful, basic, important principles of the word of God that I've ever learned. Usually, when I hear a message, you can, because God is so good that he prepares you for the battle to come, even if you don't know it's coming. And he prepares you by giving you the weapons you need before the battle appears. And usually what that means is, I will come here and I will preach on healing. And you could sit there and go, man, you know, this is it's, it's good stuff, but man, I'm, I'm sick. I mean, I'm, I'm well, I'm not sick. I don't... You know, I didn't really need a message on healing. Usually what that means is you're fixing to be attacked. Mm -hmm. And you need to be reminded of the truths that can beat off that attack. You got that? And so whenever he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you. What he's saying is you've heard. Okay, the tools we have is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we fight. And, and what he's saying is my people are destroyed because they heard a message, they heard the truth, they had their sword handed to them, but they laid it down, they didn't receive it, they rejected that truth and walked into the battle unprepared and they didn't know the battle was coming next week. Do you see all that? So what he is saying out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is very simple. God is not going to allow you to be tempted above what you're able to beat. Now that does not mean that everybody wins. What it means is those that remember what has, was spoken to them before, they took that information, they didn't reject that knowledge, they took it in, and then when that problem comes, they go, wait a minute, uh, just last week, or maybe a month ago, I heard a message on this, and, 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 and you know, this is what Brother Curry said. He said, if you do this, we can beat this thing. So you were given the tools a month before the battle. 
and if you receive them, then you have what it takes. So he knows that whenever you hear it, you have what you need. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God, the faith is there to act on the word of God, right? But if you don't act on it, if you don't embrace it, then when the problem comes, you won't think there's a way out. But the way out was the message you heard a month ago that prepared you. It was the information, it was the knowledge you received that you laid down, rejected, didn't receive whatever it was. Do, do you understand what I'm saying here? So God prepares you ahead of time. He knows what's coming. He knows, and, and most people, if they will look back at their life, they can remember, if, if you can remember the specifics. <clears throat> most people don't put the problem with the Word of God. And they don't realize that before the problem got there, they heard the word that was the answer to the problem that came next. Why? Because God is ahead of the enemy. He will prepare you ahead of time. He puts in you what you need, right? Now, so if you learn that, then you start saying, then you can actually start to predict what the enemy is going to try to do by listening to the word that's being preached. You can hear what the preacher is saying, wherever you are, and as you hear what the preacher is saying, then God is bringing a message to you. And in that, you can predict what the enemy is going to do. All right, do, do you want a verification of this? Do you want me to give you another scripture that proves what I'm saying? Mark chapter 4. The sower sows the word. What does the enemy do? He comes immediately to steal the word. You hear that? So it's almost like a cause and effect. And so, so, so in other words, I could say it this way. If I preach on healing... I'm pretty well guaranteeing that the enemy is going to try to make you sick in a couple, at least within a couple of weeks. He's going to do something to try to bring that around or try to get that word out of you. Do you see how the two work together? You sow the word, the enemy tries to steal the word. The enemy trying to steal the word becomes the problem and then you think, why am I going through this? Why? Because you've already had the tools given you that you need to get through it. But you have to learn to embrace the tools, not reject the knowledge. Amen? If you just take that part and meditate on that, think about that, and start to act on it, I'm telling you, your life will absolutely change. Absolutely. You will be able to predict what the enemy is going to do. You'll be able to tell people, this is what the enemy is going to try. And if you start noticing that, then automatically people will start looking at you and go, wow, you're prophetic. No, I just listened to the message that was preached. And I know the enemy is going to come immediately to steal the word. So it's really easy to, to be able to predict what the enemy is going to try to do. Amen? All right, so let's look at the next part. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to go to verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, notice the word communion, of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, both these words, communion, most of the time we think of communion as the, the juice or something. But it's actually both. And we have to realize communion literally means to, to have union in common. Okay? Now, he says, and this word, therefore, communion, is the, it's number 2842 in Strong's Concordance, if you want to look it up. And it's a word, koinia. And it means communion or fellowship. It means to engage together intimately, strongly, to, to get below the surface, okay? He says, for we being many are one bread. Notice, for we being many are one bread. We are one bread. Why? Because we are his body. You got that? Okay. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are, they, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What shall I say then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. And that word fellowship is the same word communion, koinia. Okay? He said, don't have this, this relationship with the Gentiles, as they would say, these pagans, that are doing things that are not godly. Okay, then he says, you cannot, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, 
because you're going to see the same word, talking about communion and abide, okay? To have communion means to abide, to abide means to have communion. Be ye not unequally yoked together with, with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord or agreement hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. He says, wherefore, come out from among them. In other words, listen carefully. And be ye separate saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Notice the reception God receiving you is after you've come out from among them and touching not the unclean thing. This is salvation, technically. Okay? Then he says, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Then in verse chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Having therefore these promises. What promises? that I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be your father, you be my people, I'll be your God, I will dwell in you. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Notice it doesn't say, let's pray that God will cleanse us. But he says, let us cleanse ourselves. Now that word cleanse is the same word cleanse that when Jesus said, now you are clean through my word. Right? How do we cleanse ourselves? Through his word. How do we purge ourselves? Remember the word cleanse? Or clean is the same word for purge, which is used similarly to the word for uh, chastise. People always think, oh, God's going to purge me. He's going to chastise me. That means he's going to beat me down somehow with sickness or something. No, he does all of this through his word. He, he instructs. He teaches. He, it is, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, not they beat me down. Right? So he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. <clears throat> finally, and well, not finally, but pretty close to finally. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. The communion. What he said, why did he say the grace and the love of God be with you? And then he says communion with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts now to dwell with us, to walk in us, and it is how God walks in us and dwells in us now. So we are to have communion with him. That means we are to abide in Christ and his words abide in us. That means we think about him, talk about him, dwell upon him, meditate upon them, speak them out, that we walk with him, that we talk with him. Listen, one thing people hate is silence. When it gets quiet, people start talking. You know, we, we could, I guarantee you, we could get up, we could speak in tongues, we could, you know, have, have I want to be careful how I say this, <clears throat> we could have some things going on. And then as soon as we get quiet, somebody's going to have a word. Why? Because they don't like quiet. You say, well, is it not from God? Well, it can be from God. God's always talking. But that's whenever people want to hear, and that's when they want to say some things. And usually, many times it's just because they don't want the quiet. And if you cannot dwell in quiet, being in solitude, having silence, is one of the keys to spiritual maturity. You have to be good with silence. You have to be able to dwell in silence and just commune with the Father. Even if it's not, even if you're not talking to him or he's not talking to you directly to where you're hearing words or things going on, you just let him work in you and you abide in him and you let his words abide in you. Right? Now, the way his words abide in you is you obey them and you do them. That's one of the ways. But to do that, you have to dwell upon it, meditate it, so that you will do all that you are supposed to do. Right? If you don't think about it, dwell upon it, meditate upon it, that's called abiding. If you don't do that, then you will not be doing what you're supposed to do because your mind will be somewhere else. And you'll be agreeing with whatever you know, is either coming through Christian circles or on television. One of the two. So... In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together 
in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then finally, I want to get to this very quickly here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, you can write these down and you can get the notes later if you need to. In verse 41, it says this, and I want to show you now, you, not only are you to have fellowship and communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word, and that would be Mark 4, gladly received the word with gladness, okay? They were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly, that means regularly and consistently, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Same word, number 2842 in Strong's Concordance. Same word. They continued in communion. Now, that doesn't mean taking communion. That means being in communion. It means having strong, below-the-surface fellowship together with one another. And in breaking of bread, okay, and that would be the communion part, what we call communion, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, imparted them to all men. And I'm reading all this because I want to get to verse 46. That says, and they continued, continuing daily. Notice daily, not once a week, daily. With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What were they having? Fellowship and communion together. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, read this last part and we'll be done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. How do you have fellowship? By hearing what they had seen and heard. You hear that? So there was a communion, a fellowship together. They heard and they entered into fellowship with it. Now watch this. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Isn't it funny? Here he is again talking about abiding, communing, fellowshipping, and your joy be made full. And has your joy made full? By bearing fruit and by answered prayer. Which comes from what? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then all you can ask whatever you will and it will be done. You see how all that is tied together. This is so vitally important. Verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice do not, not know not, do not. Okay. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice again, here he is talking about cleansing. And how does he do that? By the word. You get that? If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, bottom line is this. People often don't know how to abide in prayer. And the way, one of the ways, when we think of prayer, we think of, okay, I'm going to go say my prayers. I'm going to go, well, you know, last night before we went to bed, we were doing our prayers. I hear this kind of terminology. You need to realize <clears throat> prayer is talking to God right? In most cases, I really wish they didn't even use the word prayer because prayer has a religious connotation to it because we have applied it to it. And now when we think of prayer, we think of some religious action. And if I ask you, how many of you pray as much as you should? Nobody would raise their hand, generally speaking, right? But the fact is, if I said, but okay, if I, if I was to ask you, um, how many of you talk to your friends regularly. Oh yeah. Do you talk to them enough? Oh yeah. Yeah. I talk to them all the time. Why is it we talk to friends, but we don't pray enough? Whenever God is always with us, he is always wanting to have fellowship with us, to abide with us. 
in reality, the problem is we think that there is a process to prayer and it seems burdensome as we try to learn how to pray. Because that's what people always say. How do I pray about this? I don't know. How would you talk to your friend about that? How, how, what would you say to them? What would you, you know, how would you talk to them? Prayer is talking to God. It is fellowshipping, communing, abiding with God. You can pray with words or without words. We are to pray without ceasing. In other words, we are to stay in communion with the Father all the time. We are to walk in communion. And when you do that, it's amazing. Sin falls away. You won't be engaged in sin if you continually abide and walk with Him and walk in the light as He is in the light. Even that sounds religious. But all it's saying is, you do what you know to do. You live your life in a way that you're doing what you know you're supposed to do. It's not that hard. And if you mess up, guess what? We can confess it. And how do we know we messed up? Because of the Word. And how does He cleanse us? He cleanses us with His blood, but He does it by showing us where we were wrong and how to fix it. Amen? So there's an abiding. All, all, the, the main point of this morning's message, this part, is really just to get you to understand and to begin to think in terms of, I'm going to spend more time just being with God, just abiding, just letting His words abide in me and, and let Him talk to me through His word, and I'm just going to abide with Him. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into a religion. Well, I'm going I'm to pray at least an hour a day. Imagine how that would go over with a spouse. Okay, look, we're married, so I'm going to give you one hour, and I'm going to talk to you, and it's going to be good quality time, and we're going to sit down, and I'm going to talk to you an hour. And when that hour's up, and you, even if you're in the middle of a story, I'm going to go, up, oh, up, oh, time's up. <laughs> that was good. All right, oh, meet you this time tomorrow. Okay. Imagine what kind of relationship you're going to have, right? No, it's not about having a, an hour of prayer where you did some religious duty. It is about you being connected and abiding with God and Him abiding in you and you having access to the Spirit of God 24-7. That even if you're talking to somebody else, God is there. And you know He's there. And you act accordingly. Amen?